0: I'm Dan Walters. And I'm Anthony Peters. This is the No Ideas Podcast. Hi there, welcome to episode seven of the No Ideas Podcast. Um, this one was a quite a different show, it was uh, our first ever live record. Um, which we did at this year's Brighton Illustration Fair, or BIF, um, which has been going since 2015. Uh, There's full of speakers and workshops and uh, an amazing uh, creative kind of maker's market as well. So we met with Andrew from BIF and we hatched a plan to do a live show.
1: Uh, Now, sculptor Wilfred Wood has been on our shortlist since day one, so it's quite serendipitous that he was also on the bill for BIF. We thought this would be a great opportunity to speak with him.
0: Yeah, and when we emailed him, he actually said yes straight away, didn't he? he was, uh, it wasn't deterred totally by the, the live audience at all. Yeah. So we spoke to Wilfred about how he picks his subjects, um, the power of the muse, and the use of humour uh, throughout his work.
1: And also how beautiful he finds Pharrell Williams, and the fact that he
0: thinks Paul McCartney has been a bit shit for the last 30 years. <laughs> Just a note for this episode, uh, the sound quality is slightly different um, because we recorded in quite a big room uh, and we get a little bit of noise from the audience and a pretty squeaky chair that I was sitting on. (laughs) Um, As usual, there's a few adult subjects. That's right. There's a bit of swearing in there as well. There's nothing too adult,
1: but it might not be perfect for younger listeners. Is there anything else we need to say? I don't think so. Enjoy the show. (laughs) Alfred Wood is a sculptor and fine artist who lives and works in East London. He is known for his witty portraits of celebrities such as Paul McCartney, Tom Daly, David Hockney, and David Bowie. His work both celebrates and satirises, always finding an honesty and humanity in those he portrays. He does use plasticine and enjoys making portraits of dogs, but will not take kindly to having his work compared to Wallace and Gromit. Welcome to <laughs> the show.
2: Thanks.
0: <laughs> um, so you were born in London and grew up in rural Sussex? Correct. Um, Can you set the scene for what your childhood was like?
2: Well, I I came from a very arty background. My dad taught at the Royal College, my mum was a painter and then a designer. My granddad was head of the Royal College and uh, my grandma was was an illustrator. Um, And it's one of these things where there's super pros and cons to that in that um, I was very much immersed in the art world, but I was also, it was quite a heavy weight to carry around. Um, my dad was a natural history illustrator and he, uh, he kept loads of animals like snakes and frogs and tortoises and things like that in the house. So it's quite an eccentric sort of setup.
1: Um, Were there any, any of these animals ever escaped or did you ever find them? crawling around the house
2: yes they frogs and things like that escaped and it was always terrible because you know the whole house would be turned upside down and then (laughs) a fortnight later you'd find a mummified frog covered in dust underneath a bed or something it was awful and when you keep animals like that there's, there's endless disasters that happen like um one time there were two terrapins uh being fed in a cage and one of them bit the head off the other by mistake <laughs> going for the same bit of food there was another time where there was a tortoise escaped and it was outside on the lawn and my dad ran over it with a lawnmower sliced the top off it you know, it's just awful hor- <laughs> horrific animal disaster a series of them.
0: <laughs> did you ever draw any of the animals when you were
2: yeah. I did, um, but my my dad did that all the time. That right. was his his thing. So, yeah, I certainly did. But there was this there was this thing of you know, even at a young age, there was a sort of slight resistance of do I follow in my dad's footsteps mm. or do I find my own way? What, how how do I negotiate this? So yeah, I did a bit. And I think when your parent does something like that, I think I had probably a, a fairly natural. Uh, sort of way of doing it that would that probably I would have been okay at but but it's it's just impossible if you do something so similar to your yeah, parents yeah. when
1: we spoke to Rose Blake obviously oh right know, god you know, well she's
2: got it times 10 but
1: she yeah so she didn't want to be an artist when she was younger because it was so off-putting like watching her dad draw made her not want to draw yeah I so can good. just imagine yeah did you have anything like that growing up or
2: was were you inspired to to draw and to to be creative I was I was quite inspired to, to do things. It's just it what the difficulty was finding my own voice, my own particular voice that wasn't aping them, and and lo- what I what I worked to do was just to lose the weight of their expectation. Not their fault at all. It's just inevitable part of coming from. And I'm sure you know an accountant whose dad was an accountant would say a similar thing.
1: Mm-hmm. Did you ever try to please them then, early on? Did you? I'm sure, shopping? I did all
2: the time. Yeah, yeah, all the time. Yeah, and I think that it's still, rem- it, you know, even though you may consciously diverge from your parents' uh, attitudes, there's still going to be a part of you that wants your your dad to be and mum to be pleased with what you've done. Were you close to your folks? Yes, very c- close. Uh, but there, there was. It was Certain amount of tension in the family, <laughs> <laughs> not that that's unusual. Uh, but yeah, I think we, were, we, were, we grew up in the country with a big garden um, in the countryside, so, and with not many other people around, and I had one sister, but so the, the four of us were quite a tight family unit, really.
0: Um, and were you any good at school? Was or I or good? Any, were you any good, yeah.
2: Uh, I think I was a sort of fairly average. You, do you mean art or stuff in or general? Well, just everything, like? I, was, I think I was, I was very sort of average, right. sort of a student, really. Uh, Have you got any early creative memories
0: at school, from school or from your childhood?
2: I used to do a lot of scrapbooks with drawings of Doctor Who in it, things like that. Mm-hmm. And um, I used to do funny little abstract Patterns that I stuck all over my grandparents' house, and they pulled them all off. So they were, they were <laughs> taking off the wallpaper and stuff like that. I mean, odds, odds, and sods of things like that.
0: Yeah. And what what kind of age were you when you were?
2: Oh, that was know? that was when I was really young. Right. Yeah.
1: So, um, do you remember any of the teachers fondly at school? Did you have a bad time or a good time at school?
2: Oh, uh, I didn't. I didn't really like school. I mean, I think I felt posh, fat, arty, gay. I mean, just a freak, <laughs> a bit of a freak. And um, I mean, I found there are ways that you, def- you defend yourself against that sort of thing. But I, I enjoyed it more as I got older. I think, I think I was quite different as I was younger and I found ways of blending in and making friends and, and being, being good at art-ish. You know, people have their thing, don't they? Mm. Being good at maths isn't going to make you friends, but (laughs) but good at sport or art or something like that isn't too bad. So, uh, and and trying to be funny.
1: Humour's always really good, isn't it? Well, it's
2: a great deflection. Loads Mm. of comedians are always saying they were bullied at school and they tried to be funny as Mm. a deflection from that, obviously.
1: Were you an outsider then at, at school initially before you found your...
2: A sort of a, I mean I can't claim to be a massive outsider, <laughs> but I but um I did feel a bit different. It was a, just the local comprehensive, so there were all sort everyone you can imagine was there, um, and yeah I did I did feel a bit, a bit different. But but, uh, but I know I don't. That's that's not a complaint. A lot of these things are what forms you and you know the and, uh, fine we're all a, a cocktail of, of awkward. Influences. Absolutely, yeah.
0: it's true. Um, so, who inspired you to pursue a career as an artist?
2: Well, it's just—it was just like following the family business. Right. You know, if the, if your parents have a shop or something, you might probably end up working in a shop. I didn't—it didn't seem like a big um, decision to make. I just slipped into it because it was the obvious thing to do. Was there anything else
1: that you could have could have done? Or thought about well, I there?
2: tried to do—I tried to write a bit, and I tried to write stories. Um, I think it would always be something creative, but uh, probably vi- uh, it was gonna, probably going to be a creative <clears> visual <throat> thing, really, ultimately. What, I don't think I had an awful lot of choice.
1: Did you have to do any teenage jobs or anything like that?
2: Yeah, mowing lawns, uh, huge lawns, two hours worth of, of slow mowing <laughs> with, a, with a little push mower on a massive lawn. That was once a week. Um, there were jobs in a local bookshop, you know, all sorts of um, cleaning out my dad's animals. That was a big, a big operation all the time.
1: Were there any particularly scary animals?
2: Yes, yeah, snakes. What kind of snakes? Royal python, uh, various, various different snakes. I'm, I was scared of snakes then and am now. I mean, you'd think I would be natural with snakes, but no, I'm not. I think they're very frightening animals. Beautiful beyond belief and fascinating, but definitely scary. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you um, So after
1: school and college, you studied at Saint Central St Martins? Yeah. You studied graphic design?
2: Yeah. Um, and was this all analogue graphic design at that moment? Was it like hand planning? Or... <laughs> um, I suppose it was the absolute beginnings of computers. So it was those ones that that um, they're about that big and they're, they're yellowy, beige colour and they've got a screen, black and white screen, about that big in the middle and you had a floppy disk, which, um, how, is it one megabyte? One megabyte fits on a floppy disk? Oh, I don't even uh, know if it was that much, was no. it? No.
1: Yeah, it was... It, was it might have been... been.
2: Anyway, it's yeah. impossible to do anything. Yeah. Everything took forever and I couldn't understand it and I, uh, well, no, it, didn't, it didn't gel nicely, the, mm. the digital world even then. Were well, you learning a lot of the analog skills as well? well I don't think I learned any skills at <laughs> college. You don't go to college to learn skills, it's just a sort of attitude and learning yeah. off the other students about ideas and things like that. Nobody actually teaches you anything. What made you choose graphic design instead of art? Um, I think because my parents were so nervous about me doing art at all that they, they just pushed, well, they didn't push me, they uh, uh, gently encouraged me into doing something where I could earn a living. Because that, and, and being a fine artist is generally much more precarious. Yeah. Well, can be more precarious than trying to do something more sort of applied. Yeah, where you, you're guaranteed work and you can put yeah. yourself into yeah, a niche. Yeah, the usual thing. Um, and then, what was your first job after Central Saint Martins? It was working in a publisher's called Dorling Kindersley, uh, which, and I was designing encyclopedias, so it was really got me down. Was a pe- <laughs> spread after spread after spread. Mm. Perfectly, I mean, good for an, to have a nine-to-five job straight after college is not bad, and to earn reasonable amount of money, and then computers were starting to come more and more, so I learnt how to use computers a bit. And uh working with people and getting up in the morning and all that sort of thing, that was all good to have a regular job for a while after college, but basically I got super bored,
1: okay, yeah, just doing the same thing all the time
2: the same thing, but I just i i, I at a certain point, I thought I might as well stack shelves you know it's no i'm not making any impact on anyone i'm not amusing anyone i'm not i'm not uh stamping my mark on on anything in the world and for some reason some sort of show-off reason i felt i needed to make a tiny bit of impression on the world in one somehow
1: do you think you had that all the way through in your life then that need. yeah, uh, my, yeah.
2: I, w- I was called little mr show-off
1: <laughs> <laughs> amazing are you still mr show little mr show
2: i hope less but if you're an artist at all, even if you're a hermit artist, you want to communicate, you want to other people to appreciate or tell them something or show them something, you know, you want, you want to impart something. Absolutely. And if that's showing off, then that's, you know, there's, a, there's a gray area. You
1: feel it? like you have something important to share. If you yes. didn't have that desire, then you probably wouldn't make anything. That's it, yeah. Um, which in some respects, can seem a little bit arrogant, but it's absolutely necessary for anybody to make an artwork. Um, They feel they've got a perspective or something they need to show. That's it. Yeah. And when you lose confidence, sometimes you feel like, why should I show this? That's when people stop making for a while, I think. Like, why should people listen to what I'm doing? Um,
0: And so after that, you went on to work for the satirical political puppet show Spitting Image. Yes. Um, Can you... Tell us what you were doing on that and kind of maybe explain what the show was for anyone Yeah, who so seen
2: Spitting it. Image was a, a, a satirical program about, about um, politics, celebrities, things like that. We made uh, rubbery heads out of latex rubber kind of a bit bigger than life-size, where, where you put your hand into the latex head, and went blah, 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 <laughs> blah, 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 and you had a body, and you had hands like this, where people would put their hands into rubber hands, and would be flapping around like this. Has anyone ever heard of spitting image? It's kind of, in the, at the time, it was very rude, very in your face, and made a lot of, a big impression and had a big impression on politics and it ran for 13 years but it gradually kind of run out of steam and I, I just knew someone who knew someone who worked there and it was great after getting fed up in the publishers to have this thing that was very tight deadlines, very fun, very rude and very sort of uh, energetic.
0: So, so, go, no, go ahead.
1: It was really grotesque as well wasn't it there were grotesque yeah. satirical faces Yes exactly ab- absurd and funny and very much needed in that time I think probably
2: well, needed now Well you know probably at all times you need satire in and it's an English tradition as well that politicians and the royal family and everyone like that are pilloried in public Right so. <laughs> <laughs> what was the most um, ridiculous thing you made
0: on spitting image
2: I just made low. I made. I did a lot of eyeballs and blinks. Right. So I I went there just as an apprentice, and you had eyeballs. You had had to drill up into eyeballs and make a little screw mechanism inside it, and the eyeballs had. You had a kind of like a bicycle brake, and that made the eyeballs go from side to side like that. And then you had a kind of long tube with a rubber bladder at the end of it, which you puffed like this, (laughs) and that made the eyelids go. like that, so you had these two things, and I was making those mechanisms a lot, which which was a bit of a mundane job, but I was only 23 or 24, and Mm. I'd done no making things myself, so um, even that was pretty fun, but then I made lots of fish and dogs and things like that. The only puppet that I actually made was Rolf Harris.
1: Okay. We, we do have in our notes that the dogs were boiled
2: dogs. Apparently, you made there was dogs. a boiled dog, which uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know why there was a boiled aliens and three-headed fish as well. Yeah, lots of those sorts yeah. of things. It was whenever they needed an odd. Uh, but side character kind of thing. I okay. used to, to make them. Maybe.
1: You were in. You were in that department. The yeah, strange... as
2: opposed to the sculpt. I mean, there were amazing sculptors at Spitting Image who, out of clay, sculpted the heads, the caricatured heads. I never did any of that. I didn't know how to do it at all. But funnily enough, I've gone on to do vaguely that sort of thing.
1: Yeah. Was that an inspiration to you then? Do you think? Hundred percent. Okay. So that sort of led you on that path to. Where yeah, you it are changed now.
2: everything for me, and I'm really grateful to it, and it was brilliant. And. Uh, I spoke to I, I got run up by my old boss the other day, Roger Law, who's brilliant. I don't know if you know the people who started Spitting Image, Fluck and Law. Okay. And Roger Law rang out, I had a nice chat with him, um, and he really I I give him you know he he changed things for me because I realised it was it was possible to have fun and get paid for it at work, and I thought for a while that would never happen and be impossible. <laughs>
1: it's the dream really yes it it is it's exactly
2: what you want and it doesn't happen all the time and I was only there for about two or three years and then it stopped and I was lost again but for that time I you know put enough of an imprint on me that I could then take it forward and hope to do that again was that the last
1: job you had really proper job type job Um,
2: no after that I then had uh, several awful jobs (laughs) (laughs) Uh, full time jobs in design companies and scanning in slides and wherever I could get work, you know, just like crappy graphic jobs.
0: Right. And wh- When did you um, start your career as a sculptor um, after these crappy jobs?
2: I, th- I think I just made little odds and sods for myself Right. And that, and that gradually began to become more and more fun and more and more absorbing and then I, I spent more time doing it for myself you know, I, worked for this, uh, I had a friend who worked for The Face and he got me to make two little plasticine figures of DJs and it was an April Fool and it said that you could buy these little, plas- little plastic uh, little models of the DJs. Uh, but that was a, it was a cool magazine so it was suddenly a very nice place to be to have mm. something in there and, that, and once you, know, you start off and people see that yeah. then it, it le- leads to other things.
1: Like that, you did a, a piece for Cosmo, right? Mmm.
2: That was the Cosmo Cosmo Karma Sutra. Yeah, yeah. So that was uh, plasticine figures having sex for and all this, the all the star signs. This
1: is really worth checking out online because it's just really hilarious. There's one of your talks <laughs> you talk about it, and you, you said it. Your mum okayed it. Is that right, or were you being?
2: Well, <laughs> she was just. She was. She was a bit horrified that I was doing it. And, um, and when I showed her, she, she wasn't, you know, she said, oh, they're actually quite nice, they're quite cute, you know, it wasn't pornographic. Not, I mean, hard to be pornographic yeah, in plasticine, yeah. but, um, she, you know, it was okay. So, yeah, I was very, it, 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 it would have to be anyway for Cosmopolitan. But it was nice to find a way of doing, getting that brief, where they didn't say you've got to do it up plasticine, they said, how are you going to do it? And I thought plasticine would be a good way. And it turned out, because it's got a sort of friendliness about it, Mm. that it came over in the sculptures.
1: Absolutely. So just to set the scene, can you tell us a bit about your process from the initial idea to the end artwork?
2: Well, it depends what I'm making. I'm not at all technical, really. It's very much, I use really simple, almost children's material. So it's either polymer clay, papier-mâché or plasticine. I have used bronze and things like that, but that's very rare. So I'm not interested in technical stuff. I'm terrible at moulding or anything like that. I've I've given it a go. But um, I really just... I probably just see something that is funny or that is peculiar, uh, probably on the internet or on the news or something like that. This is when I'm generating my own work. And then I'll draw it and then I will make perhaps a plasticine rough, and then uh, make an armature and then I put um, uh, aluminium foil around the armature and then put polymer clay all over it, sculpt it, bake it in the oven, paint it.
1: Nice and straightforward.
2: No, it's all all pretty straightforward. (laughs) I do not want to get uh, involved in technicalities in my work. To you, you kind of work by heart in some respects? Totally, you, yeah. yeah. It's, all, it's all instinct and um, feel, really. It's not, like, not a very thought-out thing. And quite often I'll start very enthusiastically and suddenly realise that the thing I've made is, isn't, is not going to stand up or anything and I have to restart it or something like that. So I'll start in a burst of enthusiasm, not very organised or, or thought through.
0: How do you decide like, the scale of what you're working Because you've showed in your... Talk like some of them are big, some of them are little. Like
2: um, it just has a funny effect on how the and, on how the character or the person, whoever it is, sort of comes over. Uh, things like I did one of Paul McCartney, and I yeah. gave him very little hands, yeah. and that was, there was something funny about that. Um, scale is a weird thing; it very much it's, it it uh, it can kind of make. I wanted to make Mark Zuckerberg kind of a bit looming, even though he's got a, such a pink baby face. Yeah. It was an odd, crossed message that I wanted to play with. Yeah,
0: and when you're, um, when you're making the works of the famous people
2: and celebrities, how do you choose like a suitable subject? Um, well, it's not, there, there's, you know, people say, say, the obvious one to do is Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. But um, he's been done so many times mm-hmm. and so well. I'm not going to do him, mm-hmm. but I did his wife instead. So if I can right. find some sort of Melania, if I can some find some sort of slightly sideways access to a character, then I'll try and do that. So one of our questions
1: is actually about Donald Trump, and it's about the idea that I think you mentioned or you quoted Armando Iannucci in saying that uh, you can only really poke fun at people that take themselves seriously. But because like people like Boris and Donald are already caricatures. So a yes. caricature of someone who's funny already isn't funny at all. Is that partly why you haven't
2: done a Trump? Um, I think, I think it's, I, th- I do, I actually think that with some people, the more you, you tease them, the stronger they get. Um, Absolutely. and, and I also think he's been done so well already. Um. So, uh,
1: by everyone and anyone, really. Yeah,
2: I just, I just can't, I think i just sit down and say, oh, and just think to myself, oh God, you know, this, is, this isn't, this is I haven't got a new angle on this. It's just, I'm just going to be regurgitating what's already been done very well. Does your opinion of a, a person affect the way you portray them? It must do, not in a very clear way. I think i usually have, have, some slight liking or affection for the person, in a sense, not always, but usually.
1: Because, same with um, Angela Merkel, you... Oh,
2: yeah. You portrayed her in quite a, a beautiful way,
1: which is yes. often seen in a really downtrodden kind of way, or a very...
2: I wanted, I thought of it, of, of portraying her in a cheeky way, so a spark, little sparkle in Granny's eye, because she's obviously an amazing person but she, she can look like a frumpy granny a bit. Mm. So I wanted to try and give her a little bit of sparkle, which she's obviously got times 500. Mm. But um, I thought that was a, quite a nice thing to, to do. And, uh, uh, and a, another, I think it's some, when something's a little bit um, discordant mm-hmm. in the message I'm giving, and that's quite nice. So it's not just a one note <coughs> number. It's mm. easy to just do a horrible thing of Donald yeah. Trump. But you, But what is nice to do something that's a little bit... My friend, who's very political, I think I annoy him by not being clear.
1: Yeah.
2: And, and he says, well, what do you think of so-and-so? And I say, well, I, there it is. You make up your own mind. You know, if it's a bit cross-messages, that's fine because I don't like the, the black-and-whiteness of politics.
1: And a lot of people fall into a a set way of thinking as well. So you did a Putin as a child as well, didn't yes. you? Yes. So you've made somebody who's perceived in a very, uh, in a very formidable way, yes. very meek. Yeah. Do you, find some, do you think sometimes you're obtuse with your choice of, of the angle you take, but like so deliberately doing Angela Merkel a different way to
2: how you would, how well, she
1: if, sees normally perceived?
2: Absolutely, of course. But I also thought that Putin was amazing because he's got such a, uh, such a strange face. I saw a photograph of him as a child, and he looked so beautiful and odd. Um, and I also, there's the thing when you see when you see famous people, especially tyrants or kind of semi-tyrants, as children, you know, you just wonder what were they like then, and and what have they become, and could you have guessed it in them, looking at them as a five-year-old running around on the in the playground? There, the war Hitler was five-year-old, five years old, running around on in the playground once which is so odd to think of. That's no, it's a bit of a side-project <laughs> issue.
0: Um, are your sculptures mostly done from photographic reference?
2: If they're famous people, definitely. Yeah. Um, if, like, the French family that I just showed, mm-hmm. I know them but I also went and took photographs of them for good reference. So I'm, I, it's, I, do pla- I can do plasticine sculptures of people when they're in front of me in, fif- in half an hour, right. but I can't do anything more complicated than that and I get too aware of the person being bored and sitting there. Mm. So I draw people from life, but I sculpt people from photos. Um, so you've said that there are a hundred ways you could represent
1: a person because a person has at least a hundred aspects. Yeah. How do you decide which aspect to represent? I know we sort of touched on this a second ago. And do you make a few roughs first of the different aspects of a person?
2: Yeah, I usually get loads of reference and do lots of drawings. And as I'm drawing, I'll suddenly hit on something and say, that would be a funny way of doing that person that you don't normally think of or don't normally see. But it's
1: it's quite a skill to actually look at a person and be able to pull out an emotional characteristic and then represent that in clay, I mean that's not an easy thing to do there aren't many people that can represent famous people especially with the kind of wit that you can do like your Pharrell for instance is amazing, it's stunning and it represents a side of him that we all see in him as well it's not just a physical representation, you're representing the person that we think Pharrell is
2: Well he, I think he's brilliant and, and beautiful so it's quite easy really, he, was quite, he, he in a way came out quite easy mm. because, I, because there's not a particular side to that sculpture.
1: Okay, so. Uh, I don't think. Whereas Macca, you made him look really grotesque, Paul McCartney.
2: Well, the pro- I think Paul McCartney is absolutely brilliant.
1: Yeah.
2: Fundamentally, but for the last 40 years he's produced utter crap, <laughs> if, that, if, if that's believable, but um, he, but he does all this stuff, and yeah. that's just so annoying. And it's, e- it's easy to um, take the mickey out of that. I mean, it's quite basic, really. That's a piss take. For you, it's And basic. he looks like, a li- he, he, his hair's dyed and his, you know, his skin's all puffed up, you know, so it's all, it's all not great.
1: It's not going well for him. No. Um, you, you've also mentioned that with famous people, the public already know what they look like, so you can riff on that.
2: Well, it's true. I mean, they can't. I, if I'm to, like the French family I did, they're quite naturalistic portraits, fairly naturalistic portraits of the individuals. Because mm. I'm not going to do a sort of... I hate... I actually... I don't want to do caricatures, and I don't like caricatures, but, I, but the, the grey line in between doing a portrait... I want to do portraits, okay. definitely. But there's a grey line in between portraits and caricatures, and a lot of portraits have got an element of caricature in them. But I would hate to do a caricature of those sorts of, 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 of friends in a family. But with Paul McCartney, I hope it's not a total caricature, but it, yeah, it's definitely got those elements more strongly. And anyone, nearly everyone knows what Paul McCartney looks mm. like. So it's a really fun thing to, to, to push it and still people say, oh, it's Paul McCartney. Macca. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you've mentioned that the peculiarities
0: make the job easier. Um,
2: is Of the way people look.
0: Yeah. Is, it, yeah, is it hard to create artworks um, of beautiful people with symmetrical faces?
2: Yes, that is the <laughs> most difficult thing always. It, at Spitting Image it was as well. It was always pretty girls, but actually it's, that's what they said. But it doesn't have to be girls, it can be guys as well. Yeah. And, and anyone who's very regular. What, the, what I love to see is big noses, sticking out ears, strong jaws very thin lips very big lips mono brows you know, you know any anything like that is terrific material and it's always a relief when you see that but even that's no guarantee because sometimes people walk through my front door who look amazing like incredibly startling models people like that and i do a crap drawing of them and then someone walks in who's just like a dumpy old donut <laughs> and they sit in front of me and I think what can I do with this and I end up doing a drawing I'm really pleased with so it's terribly unpredictable
0: yeah has anyone ever um, complained at the the portrait that you've created of them
2: some people have been obviously slightly dismayed right. but most people know what I do luckily they've already seen what they, I do yeah. they know what I do so they know that that I'm not going to do a really uber flattering portrait just to keep them happy no, but I hope I do. I do a portrait that is, in some way, you know, revealing of, of something about them yeah. in a interesting way. Not. I don't. Want to, I very rarely want to really hurt or upset people, even famous people.
1: Have you ever like sensed that someone's really unhappy, or has anyone actually told you that they've been really unhappy with the representation?
2: Some people have have just. They what people do you normally say is, "I've got something wrong." like the mouth or the nose or the eyes or blah, 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 blah. blah. People don't usually say it's horrible everywhere in general. Yeah.
1: I think that when you know your own face though, you kind of lie to yourself every time you look in the mirror because... Of course you lie you put, to yourself, <laughs> yeah, And you put it's... your
2: face a certain way, and, and then you catch yourself in someone else's photograph sometimes and like, oh my God. Yes, it's totally true. But on the other hand, it's not like the other thing people always say is, oh, so that's how you see me. Mm. And I'll always say, well, no, not necessarily. I probably got it wrong or that's the best I can do. It's not, I see you like that and I did it exactly right how I see you. It's like, I've just muddled through this and done the best I can.
1: Our sponsor for this episode was Doctor dot Printing. They offer printing service for artists, illustrators, and designers. We both use them for our printing. Um, amazing colours, quality, a good selection of paper. And they also did our backdrop recently for our live podcast at Biff. Uh, check them out on their website, uh,
0: doctor.printing.co.uk. Now back to the show. Um, so you recently had a, had a show of your life drawings called Drawings of People? Yeah. Um,
2: do you approach the drawings
0: differently to sculpture?
2: I think I do because sculpting, I'm on my own in my studio and I can take my time, uh, it's very different thing drawing someone from life who's sitting in front of me. I'm very aware of their time, them personally seeing the drawing immediately after it, after I've done it, and them possibly not liking it and all those sort of things we were just talking about.
0: Do you talk while you're drawing them or is it...? As little as
2: possible, but some people cannot shut up.
0: (laughs) So it's
1: off-putting. Do you think you'll slowly create a more (laughs) scathing drawing of them if they keep talking?
2: Well, I do. I think a a little drop, I have started to think a tiny drop of contempt is actually (laughs) quite good. Sometimes it leads to a better drawing. If I'm too fond of the person, it can be quite difficult.
1: So, have you ever invited someone along who you do have contempt for, specifically no, to see no, the result? No,
2: not at all. But if someone talks, uh, turns up and they can't stop talking or something like that, and I'm <laughs> really thinking, oh, oh please. Uh, I might just get a bit fed up, and then I might just have a slightly colder eye. You know the thing, is like Graham Greene or someone, the writer Graham Greene said that every writer needs a shard of ice in their heart. You know, I think t- t- it's not... A bad idea to have a little drop of objectivity, mm-hmm. maybe is a nice way of putting mm-hmm. it, if you're doing portraits. I think it's okay sometimes to, to have something in you that despises a little bit or
1: to pull those things in.
2: You're gives never going to like someone yeah. 100%, are you? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh,
1: do you have or have you ever had a muse? <laughs>
2: <laughs> My boyfriend. Can I say my boyfriend? Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. uh, Terribly embarrassing. Sorry. (laughs) But I've just drawn, I've drawn Theo so many times. I've got to call him my muse. He's brilliant to draw. So,
1: do you feel then you have an an understanding of his form that you don't have of many other people?
2: He's great to draw. I've drawn him so many (laughs) times. Um, And um, I think, I think. I know, I, I know the shape of his head, or it's, it's not, you know, I, I, I'll move it away from Theo a bit, because it's not unfair to point the finger yeah. so much, but I mean, do, drawing someone repeatedly is really interesting. And after a while, you're, I feel at, at liberty to push things in a, a bit further. If I, if I quite often I have literally meet someone for three minutes, then they're sitting down in the very intimate and quite strange and intense process of drawing them. And it's quiet, I hope, if they'll shut up. You know, that, that sort of thing. So, um, and I'm qu- I don't really know who they are. I don't know who they're, at. They're, I, can't, I haven't even seen their profile. I mean, you know, I quite often say, actually, can you just stand up and turn around a minute? Because I hardly have in my head who you look like. But if you draw someone repeatedly again and again and again, it's brilliant because you, st- you, you start to know how things go and you can, you, it just gives your hand a bit of a freer line.
1: That's incredibly beautiful. Do it's you, really nice. So yeah. you can riff on that as well. Yes. you can push the boundaries different in different ways. Yeah, and potentially even your mood might
2: change. There's all how sorts you... of in very hard to define things that that lead to the result of a drawing in in its success or failure. And also, you might think something's a terrible failure as soon as you've done it, and then a week later you look at it and think actually that's not bad at all, or vice versa. And I've never, I you know. All these things are very slippery, really. Because sometimes it depends on how you're feeling in yourself? Yeah, I might be I might be in a bad mood, which might give me that drop of ice, which might be a good thing. Mm. You know, never know. Yes. Okay, all right. So I've read that you collect outsider art,
1: particularly yeah. amateur drawings that you buy on eBay. Yeah. What draws you to this kind of work?
2: Um, I just really like very... D- people expressing things that they really care about and they have to draw or paint, you know. It's not, it's not a clever pose, it's something that's got to be done. Like there's this guy called Benton Wilkins, I'm always trying to get some of his drawings, I've never been able to get any, but he just does drawings of, of um, women spanking men with, their, with flushed <laughs> red buttocks and it's his, his obsession And you know that it's absolutely real, and they're done in this very odd, semi-cartoony style, but a bit wrong. Um, I love that sort of intense revealing of oneself. There's not a front of of, uh, elegance or um, how would I like to be perceived. It's like this, I have to do this.
1: So it's kind of the opposite to what we were talking about earlier, where... A, person, a creative person feels that they have something that they want to share with everyone and so they make it to some of these people he it's well, like a compulsion isn't it
2: it's a compulsion yeah but I think it's very rare artists that really don't want people to mm. see their work uh, do you know Henry Darger?
1: I do yes, brilliant documentary so the, on him Yeah.
2: so they're really dark and peculiar and nobody knew it's, he did a huge book with or several books isn't it with thousands of illustrations they're amazing and beautiful and totally weird and nobody knew he was doing them throughout his entire life until he died and his landlord went into his room and found this mountain of very spooky amazing work yeah very worth checking out yeah Yeah. but that's incredibly unusual for any artist Mm. i think the spanking guy was very happy to for people to see his work
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, so, we're, we're both big fans of the paintings by the ex US President George Bush. Oh, yeah. And we've heard you are as well. Yes. And um, he's on our long list, isn't he, he to is. eventually <laughs> like, interview him. About that would be brilliant. And um, what do you like about his paintings?
2: Well, I, th- I think it's absolutely unbelievable <laughs> that, that the pre- ex President of the United States, I mean, I don't, it's, I'll tie myself in knots kind of thing, but whatever he is, he must be in some ways extremely clever. I know people are going to say, how can you say George Bush is? But you, don't, you can't... Donald Trump is, in certain ways, extremely clever. Mm. Doesn't mean he's doing the right thing or anything, but anyway. So, very aware of themselves in certain ways, and George Bush must be a quite a... got to be a relatively sophisticated person in certain ways. But he does, like, really the most daft paintings of <laughs> fluffy dogs with a pink bow and sort of, like you know, won- <laughs> mm. wonky legs, and then mad paintings of, of Tony Blair or yeah, Putin. Yeah, as presidents or, as well. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that are so naive. They're really and, worth checking and out. And humorous. <laughs> yeah. And you just don't know why, you cannot imagine where is he coming from. Does he know these look so funny? Would you do a group show with him in London? Oh, definitely. <laughs> I absolutely love it. If you can arrange it after, your po- after the podcast. <laughs> we, we definitely want
1: to speak to him. That would be unbelievable. Would, yeah. you, would you own any of his works? Of course, yeah. what,
2: if I got the chance. Yeah. Without a shadow of a doubt, I could you know, walk into my sitting room and say, Guess who painted that? It now? <laughs> would be brilliant. You've mentioned
1: in interviews that a real cutting edge art is probably gifts being made by teenagers in their bedrooms. Yeah. Um, I've long <laughs> thought of memes and gifts and things like this as like a modern folk art. Yeah. Do, do you think these things should be considered as art or will be when looked back upon?
2: Yes, I'm, I'm... That's, a, that's a difficult question because so much, so many little things are so brief and get lost, mm. but I mean, it's like saying, say, say Aphex Twin, mm. very early on, I imagine in his bedroom going, beep, beep, boop, boop, boop,
0: beep, beep, beep,
2: boop, 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 boop. <laughs> and, and that as now, you know, his early music is classic and Absolutely, amazing and yeah strangely moving and all sorts of things all together well i'm sure that you know that it you don't art doesn't have to be done by professionals absolutely. if the if you've got funny introverted teenagers making very peculiar gifts then yeah absolutely but it, i i should think it sort of disappears as soon as it gets made in a way because nobody pe- knows who the
1: authors are for a lot of the time. No.
2: But I love that these things
1: are made with no vanity or care for yeah. people knowing they're the author. And they're often made for humorous purposes. Or... I think
2: I've got a bit used to it now, but I know when I first went on Instagram and there were, that people did sort of compilations of things with sound effects. And it was absolute, I, I was totally startled by these things that were being done. It's amazing how you get immune to stuff so quickly, mm. but there was kind of like an old lady walking along the door, along the road and then um, a dog having a shit and then then a terrible explosion and then a a knife cutting into a cake uh, with a soundtrack. And they were really viciously put together in a way that that no um, professional person would have the sort of raw nerve Mm. to do, I think. I love
1: that, hopefully it will change these forms. There's a lot of really hard-chop editing done on mm. things. YouTubers cut things really like sharply together with no care for cutting away. I, mean, yeah. I like it, it is visceral. Yeah. We'll see how it's judged by history, I guess. Mm. Um, so, And in other interviews you've quoted, is it Honor Demir, the French, French satirist artist? I think oh, Dormier. Okay. yeah, okay. Yeah. I'll say that just for the <laughs> you've quoted Dormier? <laughs> well, I might have even got that wrong, but yeah. Um, yeah and so. you have said that one must be of, he said one must be of one's time. Do you think that you're inadvertently
2: recording the people of our time like uh, Dormier and Edward Lear? Well, I really hope so, and I partly hope that because doing all these portraits I do, and this portrait show I did recently, doing portraits is such a, well, I mean of all the art forms it's probably the most done in history ever and I do it in a fairly traditional way so I'm I'm totally treading an endlessly trodden path and what on, you know what on earth can I add to it but I am drawing contemporary people now in their pomp so um, I hope that that gives it a contemporary feeling even if the style... I don't consciously... I don't want to be old-fashioned, but you've got to say, really, that sitting down with a pencil and piece of paper is basically old-fashioned. But I guess the subject... The or subjects classic, subjects or change, totally classic, they? however you...
1: So the medium might stay the same, but it's the subjects, the fashions yeah, change, what, the way people... Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah.
0: So you're automatically... Yes,
2: yeah, so I think it gives it a contemporary feel, which I'm... Thank God.
0: And yeah, I think you're, you're bringing your, like, wit to it as well a so little would, bit I hope yeah <laughs> and would you say that humour is just as important as the plasticine or polymer clay in your work
2: well it's probably more important really because um, you know those are just mediums for expressing the idea it could be porridge or sand you know it doesn't really matter if, the, if, it's, if it's well done and it's a good idea and stuff that, that's the thing it doesn't really matter what it's made of yeah Plus, Literally.
1: So the, the results more important than the medium. There. Totally. Yeah, yeah. I'm not
2: really. You know, some sculptors like mad on wood or glass or concrete, or they have got all their. Food. I just get bored of all that. I wanted. T- I'm. What I'm interested in is people.
1: So have you always been a people watcher? Have you always been curious from that perspective? I think
2: there? I'm edgy about people. I'm. More, I wonder what they think of me, or can I? Can I? engage them or can I amuse them or can I get something or, or what's our interaction I think I'm permanently on a little bit of an edge about it and I think, I think that's what makes me care and want to, to do something to do with people and I don't know if sometimes it's I don't know whether I'm, I'm sort of getting them under control by portraying them a bit I don't know if that's part of it but it would but that's only be temporarily story. anyway, wouldn't it? Totally, would... but it fixes them for a yeah. second.
1: You mean like a fixative, like in time for a Yeah, s-
2: I've, 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 I've managed to, to tell them what I think they're like and to fix it for a, for in, that, in that drawing somehow so they can't keep escaping from my clutches. <laughs> I've got them. Sometimes, I don't, I don't think that's the whole story, but I wonder if that's sometimes the motivation for doing portraits by artists. He's like, sort of stealing something,
1: <laughs> do so, Sorry to get a little bit psychological on this, but do you think this need or this goes back anywhere? Maybe to when you were younger and you, you know, the way that you felt, think, not quite an outsider, but...
2: I think it's something to do, my, my dad was like that times 10, and I think that he, I always felt he was monitoring the, the mood of the people he worked with, I read this quote. This isn't exactly the same thing, but I read this quote by Harold Pinter, who said, "If you get two people in a room, it's a power struggle." Wow. Okay. It's an amazing thing to say. Wow. Really interesting. That's it. Two people in a room, it's a power struggle.
1: But well, people do then take on a role within a. Yeah. It can be the tight. It yeah. can be
2: the gentlest power struggle. Yeah. But still, there's a thing going on where I'm saying this and I'm moving in this way, and Absolutely. you're reacting to me and moving in that way. There's a constant negotiation between the two and I think I'm on some levels a bit over sort of uh, f- sensitive to that in a sort of a, a way and um, I can't be blasé about people yeah. or things, that's, yeah. that's another way of putting it, the opposite way. is that, you know, It means a lot to me and I care about what people think of me and, and how I'm getting on with them and who's my friends and blah 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 blah. blah.
1: But then you're, if someone comes in and you're drawing them, the power struggle's immediately in yeah, your favor. I know, favourite. I know, well, I think that's, that's part of
2: the, the um, enjoyment of it, but it, you know, it's, I'm aware that it's, there's a drop of um, exploitation or sort of <laughs> power crazed maniac. And in... um, so you're very active on Instagram. Yeah. Um, what do you love about the platform? I didn't want to have anything to do with it, but my agent said, you've got to get on it. Um, and uh, I did, and then I just found it super fun. And it's, uh, it's uh, an old story, but, you know, it's, it's very much a double-edged sword. There are, there are it's very, it's, it's relatively easy to reach lots of people with Instagram, and that's absolutely brilliant, but there's loads of people trying to reach lots of people. Mm. So when I first left college, I used to print out little catalogues of my work, and I photographed them on film, and the whole thing took bloody ages and looked pretty shit. <laughs> And now I get my iPhone and click, I've got a photo of my, of my work and I send it out and thousands of people see it at the drop of a hat. So it's absolutely brilliant, but everyone is quite democratic, which is great, but everyone has got that opportunity, so there's so much noise.
1: Mm. But then you also enjoy using it for reference and researching
2: certain... Yeah, I'm always finding things that I love on, yeah. yeah? Oh, absolutely, all the time. I get, you know, it's, it's the thing really. It's all, and I think in many ways, if I have an a, a reputation, it's, it's, it's at least half because of Instagram. Do
1: you
0: want
2: to ask the MC one? Tiddles one? Tiddles? <laughs> Tiddles? <laughs> it's yeah. time to talk about MC Tiddles. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, so when you aren't being a sculptor, you're, you can be found dancing around on a stage wearing a giant animal head rapping over electronic music uh, with uh, sound artist, Malcolm Goldie. Yes, Can, do you mind explaining this to the audience?
2: Uh, well, it's really I made a dog head for my fortieth birthday, um, and then I and then my friend Malcolm does music, and um, he said, "Would I make a cat head?" And he would do all the. I basically all I do is make the head and prance around on stage, and he does everything else. So he does all the. He do, writes very funny words and does very good music and sorts it all out. And yeah, well, I'm about to do another one with him for his 50th birthday. Oh, right. What, a new head? No, same head, new tunes, you enjoy?
1: Do you enjoy jumping around the stage, like miming animal head?
2: Um, (laughs) I slightly don't sort of care in a way. The good thing is brilliant having a great big head on because you can't see anything. And I can't even see out of it. So I'm led on the stage (laughs) like I'm blind by uh, someone holding my hand. And I just, I, I'm just up there and I'm just, I've got my eyes closed, I'm just doing this. And the music's playing and people quite like it. So it's kind of, it's sort of no hassle. Um, it's not like doing this or doing a talk or working. You know, yeah, you just have Where to you're, you're actually
1: exposed. And I guess you don't notice that there's anybody watching you because you can't see them. Not really.
2: <laughs> um, and I'm a big admirer of Malcolm, so uh, you know, it's nice to be part of his, the stuff he does.
1: If you could have dinner with any artist, living or dead, who would you choose, and what would you cook?
2: Well, I suppose I'd absolutely love to have dinner with Francis Bacon, but I think it would be really terrifying. I don't think I could handle it.
1: <laughs> There'd bef- definitely be a power struggle in the
2: room. Well, there well wouldn't, no, wouldn't, there wouldn't, would be yeah. no, I would be flattened. <laughs> <laughs> um, it would be, but it would he. It would be brilliant. There, there are so many. Um, I'd really. Not really... I'd I'd love to meet David Hockney and talk Mm -hmm. to David Hockney. Um, Just because I really admire his work and his attitude and his work ethic now and all of that sort of thing.
1: Uh, What would you cook for bacon? uh,
0: I think the uh, the (laughs) answer's in the question. (laughs) 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 Um, Uh. And what is your go-to karaoke
2: song? Oh, I did Wuthering Heights (laughs) in in Brighton, down on the seafront.
1: Yeah, lucky voice.
2: It was horrific, Uh, awful (laughs) shouting. Ben, oh, he's not here. Oh, he was. He witnessed it. If he was in the audience, I'd ask him to
1: (laughs) to confirm how bad it was. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, As pencil or plasticine.
2: Oh, that's really difficult. Well, I'm only allowed one on my desert island. Yeah. Um, I think it might be a pencil really, I'm just, I've gradually seemed to be more interested in drawing than I am in sculpting.
1: Okay.
0: Well, as you're on an island, uh, if the world runs out of
2: plasticine, what would you forage to make things from? Well, seaweed, you make kind of jelly out of seaweed, don't you? Agar jelly, isn't that from seaweed? I'm not sure. I think so, you make (laughs) moulds out of it. So there may be something like that that I could use. Or custard. Thick custard. <laughs> <laughs> on, on an island.
0: <laughs> um, who's the hardest subject you've attempted?
2: Oh, um, well, there was a girl um, that I did a, a record cover for. Um, who basically, the, I, I sculpted it and um, the record label said, Oh, that's, that's really nice, but could you make her a bit prettier? And I said, oh, fine. Went back, tried to make her a bit prettier, and they they took it back, and they said, oh, that's you've done a brilliant job, but still, somehow, could you just enhance her beauty a little bit more? And I tried to, tried to, tried to. I did it again, and the same sort of thing. And then eventually they said, just make her thinner. And that's all they wanted. They just wanted. <laughs> it, was, it was really the whole thing was so annoying. But you know, we're all too embarrassed in English to to. Talk directly to each other. What they, they basically wanted me to lose a couple lose a couple of pounds off them, <laughs> and it was really difficult and annoying. So you've got two more. Do you like all your work? I tell you, I put it this way: a friend. I've got stacks and stacks of drawings, and so is a very good friend of mine who does a lot of life drawing. He's got stacks of drawing, and I and I spoke to him the other day, and I said, he said, "What are you doing today?" And I said, "I'm throwing away a load of drawings." and he said oh god I've got so many drawings I don't know what to do with them all they're all stacked all around the house I said well why don't you do what I do just pick the ones you like and and chuck the rest and he said I'm either I'm either going to Chuck them all, or keep them all, because they're all mediocre. <laughs> There's none that none are particularly bad or particularly good. And I, and I thought, God, that is so true, and so, it's so easy to be like that. I do think some of my work's a bit better than others, but it's terribly easy to, to see everything and just think it's all reasonably okay. And that's really depressing. <laughs>
1: Normally you love the most recent piece you've done as well, don't you? And then, no. do you not?
2: <laughs> no. Quite often it's awful. You loathe it. And then, and then a few months later you might think it's actually not so bad after all. And so, It's uh, only people like Paul McCartney who'd say, unbelievably, that their latest <laughs> album is the best thing they've ever done.
1: <laughs> so true. Um, and a little bit of a whimsical end. Can art change
2: the world? I really don't think so. Does anyone think that?
1: Some people have, but it's, I, I love I an mean, alternate opinion.
2: Well, I think there are some things that are quite revolutionary in art. Well, of course there are. I mean, there's, there's been amazing revolutions in art, but I don't know about changing the world really through art. A lot art is a luxury thing. It's what you do when you've got enough food and somewhere to sleep. Those are those come first really
0: hey everyone we're 6 episodes in today's the 7th with uh, just we've just broken the 3000 overall listens mark which is incredible we've had some amazing feedback from you all so we just want to say thanks to everyone for staying with us enjoying the shows please share it with your friends subscribe to it and enjoy what we've got coming up in 2019